Welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm your host, Matt Landis, here with part six of the Bet Bash bonus series and the first ever in-person interview. I know it's an amateur setup, but I'm here with professional better Rob Pizzola, soldiering through my own technical shortcomings. Rob, welcome back to Props and Hops as I pass the mic over to you. Yeah, it's good to be back here, Matt. Uh, no issues with the mic. I mean, I've I've done many of these in person before with the, the passing of the the mic back and forth on remote. But good to be back on. I've uh, listened to a couple of the other ones prior, and uh, hopefully can live up to the performances of others on this podcast. Yeah, not too concerned about meeting that bar here with you. And as I've started off some of these conversations, again, I know you've been on a couple of times before. A lot of people listening probably well familiar with your work. But just as a starting point, maybe some people discovering you for the first time. Could we kick it off with a quick elevator pitch on your background in betting? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a professional better going on about a half dozen years now. I started with a media background in Canada uh, and was hosting some sports betting content and and shows on uh, national television and radio. Um, and then over the course of the past couple of years, I've been involved with BetStamp, where I'm now a co-owner of um, the mobile application and website as well. Um, and we're just kind of excited for launch in Ontario, which is happening in my home province in the, in the next uh, week or so. Uh, but on top of that, just been excited uh, to build out a platform that is you know, getting bigger and bigger. More and more people are using it uh, in their day-to-day betting where we preach getting the best of the numbers. So um, just kind of been through a variety of things over the course of the past 10 years and um, kind of have my hands in a bunch of different things right now with my own personal betting and bet stamp, but um, just base- been basically immersed in the betting world and the content world for um, pretty much all of my, um, I guess, working lifetime. Yeah, I love it. As somebody with the full-time day job, loving this as a passion project on the side, um, a lot of respect for having this be basically the extent of your professional experience. And I know that we met in person at the first Bet Bash for the first time, wondering if you have any takeaways from that Bet Bash 1 experience, how that might be shaping your approach to Bet Bash 2 here in Vegas, and perhaps any tips for first-timers who didn't make it out to Bet Bash 1 but will be here in Vegas to take advantage of Bet Bash 2. So definitely, um, I loved Bet Bash One, but one of the immediate pieces of feedback that I gave to Spanky after the event was it was too short. Um, there was just so many people there in a limited amount of time, and you can only spend five to ten minutes going through and t- chatting with different people. And by the end of the night, there's a number of people you couldn't get to um, to have those conversations. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to this event and how it's spaced out over the course of several days. I've already, you know, we're recording this before Bet uh, Bet Bash registration has even happened. And I've already been able to connect with dozens and dozens of of people, um, which is great so far. I I love these social networking events. I I sort of live for them. I just like connecting with all sorts of different types of bettors, picking their brain on what they're doing. Uh, Obviously, if they can help me in any capacity or I can help them in any capacity, I'm very open to working with other people as well. So just being able to connect with all sorts of different people and hear their experiences, what they're doing, uh, it's something that I really like. I'm very much looking forward to the event, the way that it's planned out. Um, And any advice for people is that I would like just 
you're here to kind of put yourself out there or to learn something. That's the reality of the situation. So do that. Um, if you're here to go and, and listen to experts talk on a panel, pay attention and make sure you gain something from that. If you're here to connect with other people, well, don't spend the entire trip in your room um, nursing a hangover or something like that. Get out there and talk to other people. So um, that's just like make the most of the event, basically. And as you talk about the different events taking place, a lot of networking going on beyond the official Bet Bash agenda, but with the sessions that are planned this time around, to your point, we have a few days, not just a few hours. So Spanky's put together quite the plan. Are there any sessions that particularly stand out when you think about what you're looking forward to over the course of Bet Bash? Uh, for me, definitely the speed networking event, because um, I've never really done something like that before. Obviously, I'm, I'm a pretty sociable guy and approachable, and I do chat with everyone here and there, but those chats tend to be very extended sometimes where I maybe talk for too much or just keep a conversation going for too long. So to be part of some sort of event where you get you know paired with a number of different people to introduce yourself, quickly chat, um, I think that's going to be a new experience for me. I've kind of just been rehearsing like my introduction in my head of how to keep that very short and quick and pick other people's brains on things. Um, and I also... I like the way that it was set up in the sense that you have some input into the types of people you're going to be connected with, which for me, I particularly wanted to go outside of my comfort zone um, and connect with people that I, I normally wouldn't have the opportunity to connect with. So uh, I'm just looking forward to that. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to the um, the, the, the final four, which we're going to have tomorrow at the um, uh, stadium swim, which I've never, I just walked through it and it's absurdly like, I'm very, very much looking forward to that event as well. Um, but certainly, yeah, speed networking, I've never done anything like that. And I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's really cool that you called that out. A, you already have quite a network as an established pro better, but B, the way you seem to be embracing practicing what you preach, putting yourself out there, getting beyond your comfort zone at times. I know some people who have expressed a little bit of hesitancy around speed networking just because it might be awkward. But I think that's kind of the point. It's it's probably going to be a little awkward for everybody. And I think it's a nice way to kick things off. I think not only the fact that it's happening, but that it's happening first on Saturday morning. You know, some people might sneak in a listen to this before they head to the Detroit ballroom at the D to kick off Bet Bash. Um, and just to know that even somebody in your shoes, yeah, it's not going to be the most comfortable thing, but there's a lot of value to it. I think if you're going to be benefiting from it, then everybody listening is going to have plenty that they can take away from a session like that. And as we also think about being in Vegas for a few days, not just, again, the formal bet bash agenda, but so many other things to do, so many other opportunities between sessions. Are there any experiences beyond, let's say, like the official bet bash itinerary that have come up pretty high on your to-do list while you're out here in Vegas? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have not a lot of the people that I, I associate with or deal with on a day-to-day -day basis are actually people that I've never met in person. Uh, connected with through social media. So um, having lunch, for example, with Ed from Right Angle Sports. I've never met Ed in real life before, even though we communicate very frequently. So being able to put a you know a face to the the Twitter name or or whatever is something that I'm looking forward to. So I have a bunch of those events planned. I was at an event last night um, where I basically got to meet like every legendary bookmaker in the history of this city, which was 
amazing. Like I felt like I totally shouldn't even have been at that event because it was just so overwhelming with the amount of experience in that room. So uh, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, I think that's what I particularly love the most about these events. And I have people come up and say, Hey, you might know me as so-and-so from Twitter. And it's like, Oh, you know, I've been chatting with you for five years and I have no idea like what you look like or, and just being able to connect in person. This is very different than being able or or connecting online. So uh, I'm looking forward to those individual events. Yeah, I think that one of the bigger gatherings of the whole session that could bring out people, maybe not as legendary as, you know, the most established bookmakers in the history of Las Vegas, um, but something that will bring everybody a bit out, that Final Four watch party at Stadium Swim. Wanted to see from a betting perspective, if you had any thoughts, I understand that college basketball, not in everybody's wheelhouse, but as we think about uh, Villanova, Kansas and UNC Duke, um, anything beyond just the watch party at Stadium Swim, any angles you might be looking at to attack it and have it least some action down on those games yeah so i am not a huge college basketball better in general i do love betting march madness just because it's it's just a different form of betting um and obviously so many different books are are offering lines on it you can do whatever you want now the reality of the situation is uh like a semifinals for march madness final four is not something that i will typically bet just because the market's Let's just say there's not enough deviation in the market from book to book. It's very unlikely that you're going to find an off-market price somewhere. That's not to say that you can't. Obviously, if you have enough outs, you might be able to. But for me, I have not placed any bets. And typically, the way I approach these types of tournaments is I'm mostly looking for off-market prices. Um, obviously, we have Circa, which is a very sharp sports book. And then offshore, we have Bet Chris and Pinnacle, um, who are taking the largest bets on March Madness. Typically, those are going to be the source of the truth in terms of what we actually think the true probability is on a game. Um, and with access to 25, 30 different books now, um, you're able to obviously sometimes find, you know, uh, totals, um, sides that are, um, like I said, off market, where you can just basically garner an edge without having to do any work other than compare it to another line set. So uh, no bets for the final four. That's not to say I won't have anything. It's very difficult for me to be in an atmosphere like the one we're going to be in tomorrow where there's so many people with a vested interest on the game and not have anything. Um, And potentially I'll be looking to do something similar to what I did with Texas A&M yesterday where just like live, probably live bet the team that goes down early on and just cheer for a comeback. Obviously recreational money, just trying to have some fun, but I, I don't, I don't see any serious edges on the games tomorrow. And the edges might be harder to find when it comes to the final four. Again, such an efficient market, line shopping is not going to uncover a lot of discrepancies. But if we fast forward just a few weeks, something like the NFL draft coming up, that can be a goldmine for a good line shopper. So could you describe your approach to betting the NFL draft and any advice you might share with people who could be new to it as the market picks up some steam over the next few weeks? Yes, definitely. So I think you hit the nail on the head there or brought up a good point at the end of that question because... We will see the market start to pick up steam now, right? There's not a lot of shops that are offering a ton of draft props at the moment. Typically, Circa will actually be the lead, or at least I've noticed that the last couple of years, as soon as Circa puts out draft props, everybody starts to follow suit. Now, this is definitely an event where you can capitalize just by line shopping, and you will see massive, massive discrepancies from book to book. Um, So... I'm not necessarily saying that's the only approach, but it's one that I've obviously taken in years past. Um, I got interested in the NFL draft uh, in 2020 because it was the first year of COVID. I really didn't have anything else to bet on. What I personally did that year was I built a simulator 
um, to try to determine the likelihood of each team picking an individual player at each. And I, I bet that year based off of my simulation, it was sort of, um, a, I guess like a working test, so to speak, um, of if I could win that way, had a great year. Last year was a little bit tougher because there weren't as many draft options and draft, uh, outs and limits were smaller, so on and so forth. But Definitely, it's something that's piqued my interest. I do love the market. I love keeping up with NFL news. Um, I think it's very important to try to go back in previous years and look at which news sources have typically been accurate and or inaccurate. And also, um, each team, you're going to get a lot of commentary out of each team's camp. Um, traditionally, some GMs are very honest. Uh, traditionally, some GMs are very dishonest and they put a lot of misinformation. So if you do I mean, it's a lot of work, but if you do go back past years, read through draft uh, quotes from teams around draft, um, you can probably gain some insight into if teams are being honest or dishonest, uh, and that'll help you shape your your draft props. Now, there's no exact science. Definitely, I think the best way to go about things is just look for prices that are clearly wrong or off market. Um, but from there, if you wanted to take an extra step and you really wanted to put your stamp on it, I think just by researching teams' tendencies in the past and what they make public, I think you can gain edge, gain an edge there. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me when you talk about numbers that are clearly off market, one of the only props that's been widely available to this point has been the number one overall pick. And there's been so much movement. I mean, weeks ago, it was Evan Neal, and then maybe it was Iki Ikwanu, and then Aiden Hutchinson has emerged as the odds-on favorite, but we've gotten some noise on Trayvon Walker recently. And when Walker started to pick up steam, he had been priced at about, you know, somewhere in the 15 to 20 to 1 range, and then now it's tough to find anywhere even near 5 to 1 at this point. But some books, you know, were still hanging 16 to 1 when the rest of the market had gone down to 3 to 1. So just looking at those price points, sometimes the big plus payouts that probably won't win, but why not take a small flyer at 16 to 1 if it should be priced at 3 to 1? And similarly, the extreme price points going the other way. Um, last year, I think my favorite bet that I've ever made just because I didn't have to front the big risk with much lead time to tie up bankroll, but it was within a day or two of the draft. I believe it was Elijah Vera Tucker from USC and Christian Derrissaw, um, two offensive linemen, would they both go in the top 10? Neither of them was projected to go close to the top 10, and it was minus 2,000. But it's like, okay, I'll give a small, you know, two-day loan with a, you know, 5% interest rate that I, I almost know for sure that I'm going to get back. And, of course, neither went early. So sometimes the draft can be that unique spot where sometimes they almost can't set the price high enough. Or with the really big plus numbers, sometimes information causes some books to move quicker than others. And if you can spot somebody who's moving slow, that's where there can be a little bit of opportunity. So a lot to look forward to NFL draft-wise over the next few weeks. But one market that nobody really has to wait for if they want to dip their toe in it now, I wanted to talk some F1 while I had you. I know you've talked with Johnny on Circles Off about dabbling in that recently. So how would you describe your approach to F1? What kind of experience do you have there? And are there any angles that you'd recommend to somebody who's looking to maybe check this out as well for the first time? So definitely. Now, I will preface this by saying I am by no means an F1 betting expert. I am learning the market just as much as other people are. So I've been an F1 fan my whole life, um, but Drive to Survive on Netflix is like rejuvenated sort of the love of the sport for me to the point where I basically watch every race and I try to watch every qualifying if I can as well. Um, I basically spent just a lot of time taking notes of of what the market looks like. So 
when do books typically post their prices? When do they take them off the board during practices and qualifying and things of that nature? Um, and I'm kind of just building up tendencies for each individual book in terms of when I would be likely to attack that book. For example, I noticed one book leaves up their odds during um, practice sessions, which is you can gain a significant edge there. Even, you know, the first practice of an, of an F1 event, um, typically they're just testing out the cars, whatever. You can't gain too much of that. Second practice, they're actually putting in some laps and you can tell pretty quickly um, which cars are fastest for that weekend or excelling on that track. If a book leaves lines up, you can easily take advantage of that. But I would say that what I've particularly noticed with F1, it is very, it's very news driven. And if you pay attention to news and quotes from the, the team principals or the drivers, these drivers and team principals are brutally honest relative to other sports. They will just flat out come out and say, we don't have the race pace this weekend. Anything in the, you know, if we were a podium, we had a podium finish, we would consider that a win, so on and so forth. So just obviously looking, you have access to lap times during practice qualifying. That's great as well. But just paying attention to the team news will tell you a lot about certain things. So that's one thing that I've certainly picked up on in terms of head to head matchups. Um, I'm almost inclined to take a flyer on every big underdog. You'll often see teammates who are driving the same car going head to head. Notice this this past weekend with uh, Nicholas Latifi and Alex Albon. Uh, Albon was a minus 400 favorite against his partner, starting only like four spots ahead on the grid. Now he won because Latifi went out early. Latifi was actually ahead of Albon when he went out of the race and retired. But there was uh, Nico Hulkenberg was a big underdog to his teammate, which was Lance Stroll, um, and. I mean, these are priced in a manner that I think is, you know, they're not super far off, but you have two people driving the same car starting on the grid, like only a couple spots apart. Um, it's very difficult for me to say one of these teammates warrants a minus 400, a minus 500 price tag over the other. So those are just some early things that I've noticed that may completely change if the market changes or whatever, but um, I'm just really in tune with it right now. I find it very interesting. Um, and with the emergence of all these head-to-head -head matchups now across different books, um, I think it just presents another opportunity to potentially make some money. And when it comes to making money, it's clear having talked through Final Four weekend approaching, the NFL draft coming up, F1 being in season. Now, there's a lot in your arsenal as a pro better. And I've been curious throughout this series to ask pro bettors I've had on what they consider to be their superpower, uh, more or less what it is that you think you do best that puts you in the best spot to succeed at this endeavor that so many people think is so cool. But in reality, it can be really difficult to separate yourself from the pack. So what do you think uh, might be the sharpest tool in your toolbox to that end? Um, good question. I, I won't give you a, a, a common answer because obviously like a lot of pro bettors do a lot of the same things um, that don't really separate themselves from the rest. I think for me, prioritization. So I'm very good at prioritizing work or spending the most time on where I have the biggest edges. And what I find is a lot of people are really willing to grind and they'll spend a lot of time on certain things, but they may invest way too much time in something that has a low return um, instead of focusing all their efforts on something that's a bigger return. And part of that could be ego and just wanting to compete with other people in different markets. Uh, but I've spent, you know, I, I spent years where I was so focused on every sport and it comes like it's detrimental at times where you just can get to the point where you're not really doing anything well, trying to balance all these things. So for me now I have priorities and 
if I find an edge, which is a big edge that I can exploit, I will put that ahead of everything else. Even if that means at the expense of something that I've traditionally been very good at, it wouldn't be a, you know, if I was talking to you three or four years ago and I said, uh, I'm taking a two week break from the NHL to bet on something else. I, I mean, that conversation would have never happened because it's, I, I was just so in tune with the NHL over the course of the year. Now there's fewer and fewer edges on the NHL and I might come across something else that is a short term edge, but needs to be prioritized higher. Um, and, I, I mean, it seems like common practice or just common sense. Like, why wouldn't someone do that? But all the betters that I know are really balancing a lot of things at once. And then they'll, you know, I'll have a conversation of like, oh, I had a huge edge here. And somebody be like, you know, I had that too, but I was really focused on something else or uh, couldn't get to it in time. And I'll be like, okay, well, what was your ROI on, on this? Or how much volume are you doing on this? And they slowly come to the realization that they probably put their um, effort in the wrong places. So that's just a really big one for me is you can, you can make money in a lot of different ways. Um, you can obviously like take on more than you can chew a lot of times as well. And I've personally felt that many times in the past. So now I'm much more reluctant to do so. And I'll take a step back sometimes and just be like, no, this is, this is what needs to be done. This is where my edges had, this is where biggest edges now. And and this is where my focus is going to be. It feels so timely to me to hear that answer because I just wrapped up a lunch with Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen before we started recording this conversation. And those are two guys. It was great to meet them in person, having worked with them all NFL season on the Bet US NFL show. But one thing that came up over the course of our lunch was, you know, contests. LVC is famous for his success in almost any kind of NFL contest, but some of them are becoming so popular now. And they talked about through their experience, and and these guys have had some good success over the years, but they said a lot of times, you just have to pick your spots at the end of the day and factor in not just your ROI in terms of dollars and cents, but in terms of how much time it's taking you and what's the cost when it comes to your mental well-being. I mean, is it really worth driving across town in rush hour traffic to put in, you know, your bets at this one book for the contest? You know, if if your perceived ROI is positive, but it's not positive enough. It doesn't mean you have to do it just because you've always been doing it. So um, that's really resonating right now. And I think that could also resonate with a lot of betters in your home province of Ontario with regulation coming soon. A lot of people will be getting into this and maybe it could help them a lot to consider prioritizing, you know, how they want to pick their spots. I think that oftentimes it's easy to overlook, but our biggest edge is betters. Yeah, it's fun to have action on a game and sweat something out. And I plan to bet the final four because I'll be at a stadium swim watch party. So yeah, I want to, I want a fun sweat. I want some action. I'm not going to necessarily have an edge long-term. If you want to grow your bankroll, that's probably not the way to go. But when it comes to people in Ontario, you and Johnny and a couple other guys on the bet stamp team broke things down really well on episode 50, by the way, congrats on that milestone. Nice round number to celebrate the milestone of legalization coming to Ontario. Um, what would you say is an overview of what people can expect with regulation coming? And I think I'll preface this by saying, you know, you, Johnny, and your team gave what, like an hour and a half long answer that was excellent on Circles Off. So people can go check out episode 50 of Circles Off for the full insight. But if somebody's wondering just in a minute or so uh, what regulation means for betters in Ontario. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to see a lot of similarities to what we've seen in in different states across the U.S., but a few differences in Canada. So April 4th, 
there's already, I believe, close to 20 operators that have been approved for licenses. So immediately we're going to get a flood of U.S. operators, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, BetRivers, BetMGM, so on and so forth into the market, as well as some notorious gray market operators in the province who are now going to be legal. Bet365, as, as an example, CoolBet would be another big one in Canada as well. So uh, there's going to be a lot of similarities in the sense that it's sort of going to be, um, you know, you have a lot of companies with big marketing budgets who are competing to get the action of everyone in Ontario as quickly as possible. That's a great time to be a better because you're getting a lot of bonuses uh, immediately out of the gate. And nothing is beneath, beneath me personally. I'll be doing tons of bonus hunting over the course of the next couple of weeks, um, capitalizing wherever I can, making deposits into books to get that welcome bonus uh, and, you know, pay careful attention to what the rollover is so that I can roll it over and actually capitalize on that bonus. Um, but that's sort of what we're dealing with over the course of the uh, next few weeks. Now, Ontario's really quirky in the sense that Ontario law prohibits the sportsbook from actually advertising their bonuses and promotions, which is really weird. Um, if you watch commercials in Ontario right now, there's nothing of like sign up at BetMGM and get a $1,000 free play or whatever. They cannot actually legally do that. So there's more onus on the players themselves to actually go seek out this information um, rather than get it marketed to them. But regardless, the same edges still exist. And um, I am a big proponent of line shopping and getting the best possible price. A lot of people will say, ah, this sportsbook's just going to limit me down the road anyways. Who cares? Capitalize until they do limit you. And then take your money out if you don't like that. Or figure out a way to still beat that book even when you're limited, um, which there are possible scenarios where you could do that. Think in terms of parlays and things of that nature. So um, that's sort of the what's happening. Um, kind of like a, an arms race, I would say, in market in the early going. But that's just very beneficial to the players. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, obviously I still, if I wanted to, would have my PPH options available to me or offshores available to me. I, I highly doubt the government of Ontario will be cracking down on offshores in the early going. Um, but so, I mean, it's just a great time to be a better, the more outs that you have, the more outlets that you have to find a good price or bet different types of things. Um, like points betting, for example, which we never had in province, um, or other bet types, um, I think that's just, it's just a great time uh, to be a better. So that's going to be my next month or so really consuming as much as I can really uh, trying to understand these books, find an edge wherever I can. One of the funniest takeaways for me listening to that circles off episode was the notion that some people are so used to, I guess their only option being like a minimum three team parlay that people just don't know what it means to be able to walk up and say, hey, I just want to bet this one game. I want to bet this team laying the points or taking the points. And that is so fundamental to a lot of American bettors. Um, so I, I think that it's interesting to see the nuances involved in a different country coming online with regulation. Something that I think a lot of Americans would trade in a heartbeat for the situation in Canada would be the advertising you touched on. I mean, what a breath of fresh air it must be to not be inundated. I myself live in California without regu regulation yet, haven't experienced that yet, but a lot of friends and colleagues on the East Coast and other states that are legal. Um, it seems like there's a happy middle ground to be found somewhere. To your point, Canadian betters, you know, are maybe having too much of the onus put on them to seek out the most optimal path forward. 
and Americans almost can't hide from it. And it can be almost a trap to some people who don't know what to make heads or tails of. So I think a lot of good middle ground there. And for people who might be kind of navigating the landscape right now, maybe some up and coming betters as we look at, you know, what's going on with regulation coming across not just the U.S., but across Canada as well. Any skills you would recommend is perhaps the most important thing somebody could focus on to try to best position themselves over the months and years to come? Uh, definitely, there's a few things, but um, there's going to be a lot of people who get involved in sports betting where this is going to be their first foray into betting. So my suggestion would be if you are dead set on betting right out of the gate, keep it within like l- low limits to kind of learn uh, the platforms or whatever. But um, yeah, I think there's like certainly educate yourself before you bet. Like in anything else you do in life, before you do it, there's a high likelihood that you would probably educate yourself if there was money involved. Um, you know, if you were going to take your car to a mechanic, for example, you'd probably look up reviews or ask friends or whatever, or try to, to learn something along those lines. That's just a, a weird exa- random example that popped in my head. But you definitely educate yourself. The second thing I will say is obviously we know through industry trends, North America wide, that close to 99% of sports bettors are going to be uh, long-term losing bettors. There's a reason for that. And the biggest one is that bettors who lose in the long run are typically not price sensitive. Um, kind of you know, beating a dead horse here with what I'm about to say. But again, in anything that anyone else does in life, there's a very high likelihood that they're going to shop for a good price. Whether that's even like, look at the price of gas in North America now, right? Um, we often see, or I'll often, you know, drive through my neighborhood where there's a gas station on all four corners. One is cheaper than the rest of them. That one has a lineup for people to fill up because people are just seeking out the better price. Um, and for some reason or another, people don't do this with sports betting, probably because they view it as too much of like a, a nuisance to have to go to different sites and whatever. I, so this is a shameless plug for Betstamp, but I do think it's a very, very valuable tool in the early going for someone who is, you know, just getting into the game and very quickly can save themselves a lot of money in the long run by just betting the best price. Like all you're doing is reducing the vig for yourself, which in the long run is giving you the best chance to succeed. Um, and it, it, it's just a concept that falls on deaf ears to some, but the reality is anyone who's serious about betting and wants to be serious about betting and is actually betting to make money in the long run rather than just pure entertainment. If you're not price sensitive, you're going to have a big problem. There's very many people who, there are very few people that can just beat minus 110 regularly, uh, especially in major markets. So that's the big one for me. Um, be price sensitive. Like it's, I, I, I can't repeat it enough because it's just so important. And as such a fundamental example, I think about landing at the airport here in Vegas yesterday. I need a ride downtown to get to the D and I open Uber, I open Lyft. Lyft is going to pick me up faster. It's $3 cheaper. Guess what? I'm taking the Lyft. It wasn't a lot of line shopping. And I think that a lot of up and coming bettors might be intimidated by the thought, oh, these pro bettors, they have dozens of accounts. You know, I don't want, it could take me half an hour just to compare lines for one game. For a lot of people, maybe it's, hey, instead of one account, if you have three or if you have five, um, yes, some of the best in the world will have more outs than most people have ever even heard of. But um, just giving yourself a few options, again, kind of like the advertising approach in Canada, you can't do it. In the US, we get inundated uh, with accounts. You don't need to have a million or one. You know, there's a lot of in between. So just 
just try to find that middle ground that keeps it convenient enough to enjoy betting and enjoy the experience. But to your point, give yourself a chance to um, either lose at a slower pace or perhaps even break even or maybe crank out a bit of a profit in the long term if you can really do this right. And you mentioned BetStamp. I wanted to follow up on that. I know that you and the team have been doing a lot of work there recently. Um, Seems like the Discord channel really hitting its stride at the right time with regulation coming online in Ontario. So could you give us an overview of just the latest happenings at BetStamp and maybe a bit of a peek at the roadmap moving forward? Absolutely. So it's no secret, obviously, um, and I've mentioned this many times before, BetStamp is an affiliate. That's how we make money. So we send traffic to Sportsbooks. Sportsbooks pay us a commission, never any rev share. So we're not sending players to Sportsbooks with the intent for them to lose. Our goal is to help people as much as possible. I use the app on a daily basis. So do our co-founders or our pro-betters themselves. So I do think that there's a lot of utility in it, even though we do make our money from sending players to books. In the long run, there's a lot of things that we have on the go, but most of it has been centered around Ontario regulation over the course of the past uh, month or so and getting as many different sports books into the app for comparison as possible. Because again, uh, preaching price sensitivity, I want somebody to be able to compare lines from 40 books if possible, um, just to give them the, the best possible chance to succeed in the long run. So that's a big one. We just launched PGA. Uh, which is our first version of futures in the app as well, which we plan on adding over the course of time to other sports as well. So you can look at PGA head-to-heads and you can look at PGA futures within the app right now. We'll be adding more sports books to that and refining it even further. Um, And any feedback on that from anyone who uses it would be uh, much appreciated, but that's a big one as it was being asked for quite a bit. Um, We will move on to other sports. Typically we do that based off requests that come in. Uh, but now auto racing is becoming big, Formula One and NASCAR. That's potentially something that we're looking at in the near future. And something that's being requested pretty heavily right now, which we're exploring, is a props comparison tool as well. Um, and I completely understand that with the emergence of props betting across uh, North America now and the amount of uh, different things that you can get down on, uh, it's not easy to compare by going site to site to site, especially t- since it takes more clicks to actually find the prop bet that you're looking for. So uh, we'll be looking at adding a tool that lets you do that in, in real time um, for all of the major prop markets. So those are things that are on deck for us. Um, and then working through BetLink, which is one of our features as well in the app where you can uh, basically link your sportsbook account directly to our app. So every time you make a bet, it pulls it directly into our app so that we can track it for you. You don't have to manually track it. We want to get as many sportsbooks into BetLink as possible. So in the short term as well, that's something that we're working through um, so that, I mean, it's just removing an, an element of friction for someone who does, you know, doesn't want to manually have to track their bets. Before we wrap this up, I also wanted to make sure to weave in the Malinsky Minute as part of this conversation, a nod to the late great sports betting legend, Dave Malinsky. And there are a lot of ways I could probably take this with betting, but I know that you also enjoy the hoppier side of things. Uh, so we can weave in that pillar of the show as well. And I guess my my angle here is to look at something. It doesn't have to be specific to a Vegas experience. I know you're in town from Ontario. Um, but generally speaking, when it comes to the world of food and beer pairings, I know that's something David Molinsky was passionate about. When you drink you know, your IPAs or anything uh, that could be another beer style or perhaps even a cocktail, is there anything that you generally like in terms of a style of you know general cuisine paired with a certain type of beverage where you think maybe in that case, the whole could be greater than the sum of its parts? That's a good question. My palate is not sophisticated enough to really notice the difference. I do not really enjoy drinking beer with my meals. 
I'm typically a wine drinker with my meals. So very standard, but obviously red meat, I will usually enjoy a, a red cab. That's sort of my go-to. And if I'm doing seafood, which I'm diabetic, so I eat a lot of seafood as well, typically white wine, um, something a little bit more dry is what I, I typically prefer. So not a lot of beer drinking specifically with food. It's mostly with wine. When I do occasionally drink beer with food it's more in the summer months with barbecue or something along those lines i do like an element of citrus in the beer as well i think that pairs really well with the barbecue overall um so that's sort of my go-to uh in the in the summer i will drink lighter wines or more citrusy ipas than i typically would in the winter months where um i will it's pure hops i guess at that point uh and and not a lot of tropical or citrusy flavors Pure hops during the winter time sounds like you might be one of the few really maximizing life in the winter in the Toronto area. Rob, I want to make sure before we wrap this up, people know where they can follow your work if they're not doing so already. Uh, you've got to get on it if you're lagging here on Twitter at Rob Pizzola co-host of the amazing Circles Off podcast, also leading the way at Betstamp and not just the app, but the Discord channel. Seems like it's really growing these days. So Rob wanted to see if there's anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add. Uh, no, that's great. I mean, um, if, if if you do like what I do, um, please do check out the product. Please check out Betstamp. Uh, you can download it on your mobile device uh, on Android or iOS. We also do have a desktop version as well. So if you visit betstamp.app, A-P-P, um, you can get a desktop version. So there's a lot of people who just don't really want to navigate the mobile apps. That's perfectly fine. I use the desktop app just as much as the mobile one. So that's a good one. And then if you want to follow Betstamp uh, on Twitter, you can do so at Betstamp. And if you're one of the people that's into TikTok, Instagram, more of the creative content, we are doing some of that stuff. So just check out Betstamp on those platforms as well. Love it. I'll take this moment to let people know that we're going to near the home stretch here on this episode of the Bet Bash bonus series here on Props and Hops powered by Dimers.com. If you've enjoyed the conversation, I'd encourage you to check out the Dimers Podcast Network over at Dimers.com slash podcasts for more gambling content. Tomorrow, we're going to keep the series rolling. But Rob, for now, thanks once again for your time and insight. And let's get ready to go keep enjoying Las Vegas. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm ready.